Welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. This week we're talking about Westworld Season 2, Episode 9. Um, and last week when we talked about um, our hopes for this episode, we all talked about how we thought that this episode would be quite an important episode for Westworld. So we're going to spend the next 45 minutes to an hour talking about this. And as a reminder, this is a full spoilers podcast, so you've been warned. So, as I said earlier, um, last week everybody was talking about how, I think as a group, we kind of all felt that the Man in Black story this season was a little bit weak. Um, And from the previews, it kind of seemed seemed like that this week, um, the episode would be a bottle episode about the Man in Black, explore his motivations more, um, explore kind of like his wife's suicide, explore kind of his relationship with Ford a little bit more. And we thought that this, we all kind of thought that this was quite important given how weak his story had been to date. Um, so yeah, I, I think let's let's just get straight into the meat of this episode and talk about the Man in Black portion of it. Um, I know that last week we talked about like a really good litmus test about whether this was a good episode would be whether Anager um, liked it or not because you know Anager is a fervent critic of the Man in Black. Um, so so let's 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 Anager, what did you think of this week's episode? You said the litmus test was whether I felt more sympathetic towards the Man in Black. Yes, yes, this is true. This is true. I thought this was an excellent episode and for me it delivered um it provided everything i wanted in terms of the man in black storyline so i wanted to understand how it was that he could have changed from the being the lovely sort of young william to the evil um sort of man in black that he had become and i guess the answer was there all along in everything that we were being told which is that he was always an asshole right he was always a bad dude (laughs) he was pretending as his wife Juliet said you know he was pretending to be a good guy when he um you know when he came from nothing and he didn't have power and he didn't have money and he was pretending to be a good guy and when he went into Westworld the world showed him that actually he could succeed and be powerful by being a bad guy being a black hat um and that not only could he succeed in this way but he enjoyed it and that maybe this was the best way to succeed this was the way to get the most um, out of other people and um, yeah so so that's what he learned from Westworld and I guess he loved that about himself like coming to terms with that part of himself and so he'd visit Westworld to be that black hat and in the real world he would try to atone for this or somehow make up for you know the person he was in Westworld by being a philanthropist never cheating on his wife being a good husband in, in as far as you know doing all the right things being a good father um, but what I loved about this episode is um, so you, you see from the beginning that Juliet his wife really loves him because you know when he He's having that um, when he's having that conversation with the guy at the party, and the, the guy at the party is kind of condescendingly saying to him, "Oh, you know, we rich kids didn't read." Um, then she comes up and she kind of rescues him by saying, "Well, I'm a rich kid and I read." Um, so she supports him, and you can tell she loves him because she's constantly asking for him to declare that he loves her and to reassure her that she that he loves her because she doesn't feel it. She doesn't feel that 
that he loves her. Um, and what we see about William is that there he is at the party and he is at the absolute height and pinnacle of his career of, you know, he has achieved so much. He's received some great award in philanthropy. He's conquered the world. He's conquered Westworld. This should be such a great moment for him. And yet, all he can think about is Dolores. All he can think about is how this world just doesn't do it for him and he wants to be playing the game in Westworld. Um, and this is so like disturbing to him that he starts to feel like there's some sort of darkness or a stain creeping in on him. And when he talks about that, he's, he sort of rubs his arm around the same area where the, um, where the sort of cable point is on all the hosts. It's almost as though he's wondering if he's actually a real person or if he actually belongs to that world, if he's actually a host, which is kind of odd. But to me, I think that's just him just really not coming to terms with the fact that he's achieved everything there is to achieve in the real world and somehow it's not enough. He wants to be playing the game in Westworld, um, and so in that in that um, in that in that scene, we see Juliet saying to him, "You know, you don't love me, and just just tell the truth. Stop gaslighting. Stop pretending." And when he takes her up to her bed, either because he's in a really vulnerable moment because he is struggling with the fact that this should be the happiest day of his life or one of the happiest days and he's not happy, he actually tells the truth. You know, he, he thinks she's asleep and he tells the truth. I don't love you. Everything you believe is true. And some of the things she believes is worse than, than that he doesn't love her. She, she believes he doesn't even love Emily. So maybe that's what he's saying there too. I don't love any of you. I don't belong in this world. I belong in that world. Um, so that's, you know, devastating for Juliet um, but yeah I, I think I think it was really sort of interesting to see that um, and then of course he just goes completely insane in this episode and before I, I think I'll, I'll stop there and kind of hear what you guys thought about just that section before we move on to um, the latter part with it, where he meets Emily in um, back in Westworld Darren, what did you think? You, you're like a man in black sympathizer for some reason. I, I am. And it, it's, it's, <laughs> How did you feel? <laughs> I am. And it's really interesting because I, I had the exact opposite reaction to you ah! in this episode. So, th th I mean, this is like, you know, so far in this season, we've been pretty, like, our group has been pretty aligned in how we viewed the episodes. But, um... For me, this episode just really didn't do it for me. I, I think I had very high expectations going into it. And at the end of the day, this wasn't really a bottle episode. Like, last week and Shogun World were true bottle episodes, right? As in, they were just basically about those areas, right? Last week was just about Akechida. Shogun World was just about Shogun World. This week was basically a Man in Black heavy episode, but it wasn't really a full Man in Black episode. So... That was that. Um, not that that was disappointing, because I, I actually really loved the other scenes in this episode outside of the Man in Black episodes. Um, I'm sorry, the Man in Black scenes. I, I guess for me, I didn't feel like his motivations were properly explored, right? Like, um, mm -hmm. So I think it's established that he is massively paranoid. He constantly believes that his part of this greater game that Ford is has engineered, right? And he feels really disengaged with the outside world. But I guess for me, like, I kind of feel like those elements of his character have kind of already been established. Um, 
I kind of felt that last season I knew that he was a guy because Logan had like maybe not Logan, but I remember last season they had talked about all his philanthropy in the outside world, and it was established that basically he was living this double life, right, where he was like a a titan of industry on the outside world who was well-liked and well-respected, and in Westworld, he's a prick. And, like, I mean, this episode kind of just reinforced that. And so, I guess for me, I was like, well, yeah, I, I kind of already knew that. Um, I, I think... But I think it did, it did tell us, though, that, that that's who he is. The prick is who he is. Like, it's not like he has both sides. The other side is all an act. Like, yeah. Yeah, in his heart, he's the prick. Yeah, but I, I guess for me it was unsatisfying because you in season one you actually kind of get to know William as a character, like young man in black, right? And you do mm. see that there is this big bridge um, between those two characters. And I guess I was a little bit dis- disappointed that they didn't kind of show that bridge more. Um, so I think for me, like the things that they needed to explore that I didn't really get out of this episode is... Firstly, how did he morph into the man in black? I, I mean, I think it's quite convenient to say, well, he had a, a darkness in his soul, right? But you kind of mm-hmm. at least want to see the montage of what that actually <laughs> entails. Um, I, I think the other thing for me is why, like, why is he so obsessed with Ford? Like, I mean, one of the aspects of him this season that we've talked about is how he talks like a fortune cookie, and. You know, we get the sense that he's paranoid, but we don't actually understand what his competition with Ford is actually about. Like, what is it that they're really fighting over? Why are they why do why why are they antagonistic to each other? And that seems to be pretty crucial to what is going on this season. And I was a little bit disappointed that it didn't really explore Ford's relationship with the Man in Black and what was actually going on there. And then lastly, I guess, I... Look, I felt sympathetic with the character of Juliet, but at the same time, I I found it... um, I found what she did a little bit puzzling, because um, it's kind of been implied that she kind of already knew what was going on with him, right? Like, I mean, she had her suspicions confirmed, but really, Mm. like, it it was kind of like she already... Basically, what's implied is that it's not just the conversation that he had with her, but the video clip of him in Westworld, right? Like, that, like the little chip thing that they have. And kind of what I... For me, I, I was really puzzled by the, why that was the tipping point for her. Because she must have... Like, from the way she talked about it, she kind of already knew... And she kind of already knows that Westworld is a place where rich people go to enact their darker sins. I mean, she's not dumb, right? Like, she knows what Westworld is kind of about. So, kind of, I guess for me, it, it was, it was, it was really weird. It was, it was kind of like, well, you kind of already knew all this stuff. So, why does it impact you in such a significant way? And clearly, you've been living with it for years, right? Like, um. Like, yeah, I, I guess, and I guess it's not like, the thing for me that was missing in this episode was that it needed to show, like, that darkness and how he treated his wife. It, because, like, it's kind of, he doesn't actually do anything that's horrible to her this episode, right? Like, it's kind of like, just imply that, like, you know, he's just living that double life outside 
of Westworld, and he's actually like he's just kind of like a normal dude outside. So, um, I guess for me, like her animosity towards him seemed a little bit puzzling, right? Mm-hmm. It, like either you knew about it and it doesn't really affect you that much, and like you, I mean, it affects you in the sense that you become an alcoholic, but or you didn't know about it and it fundamentally breaks your worldview. But they've kind of like got this like she kind of knew about it and then simultaneously it broke her worldview. So yeah, for me that was kind of unsatisfying. So yeah, like for me this episode, yeah, it, I did I didn't feel like it really hit the man in black notes that it should have. Um Jerry, w- what did you think? I think I'm somewhere between you and Anadra. Uh and I say that because I agree that we learnt very little that was new about the Man in Black, but then having experienced this season of the show, I wasn't expecting to learn much that was new about the Man in Black either. Hmm. So to learn that he was a prick deep down and that there was no redeeming side of his personality was nothing new to me. Uh, Logan had already said very early in season one that Westworld is a place that reveals who you truly are. And by the end of season one, young William had revealed himself to be a complete fuckwit. So uh, to learn to learn that there was to learn that the darkness was the true William, and that the and that William, the philanthropist and the businessman, was a mask, mm. was completely not revelatory in the slightest. And I agree that there's a problem um, in relation to the to Juliet committing suicide. Uh, just pausing there. I should note that Juliet is played in this episode by Celia Ward, who seems to have um, developed something of a specialty in playing dead wives, because she's not only the man in black dead wife in this, sh- in this show, but she was also uh, Dr. Richard Kimball's dead wife in The Fugitive. No. Um, but, <laughs> by the by. Spoiler by alert! <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert for a movie from like... She dies in the first five minutes! By the by, um, you know... The, the thing that prompts her to, to commit suicide is watching a video of William doing all the stuff that we've seen him do. Oh, and so, I need to respond to this, but I will, I will bite, bite my tongue. Keep going. Yeah. And, so, and, so, and so the suicide doesn't land at all because it, it doesn't land with sufficient impact because that which triggers it is, com- is nothing new, nothing revelatory. Um, and so what should have been an impactful moment in the history of the show is not, and I would say the same thing in relation to um, the death of Emily. I think part of the problem with both those deaths is William is such an awful character, so unlikable, and so detached and distanced from everyone who should be important in his life that when they're taken away from him, either by suicide or by his own hand, um, there's no sense of tragedy or sadness. Because there's no loss. He suffers no loss as a consequence of these, hap- these things happening because he's so emotionally detached from these people. So I think I wasn't particularly disappointed by this episode. I, I can see the flaws in it, but those were flaws that I was expecting to be, to see in this episode. So, um, I, I, so, uh, without, I'm not, I don't think the, the, the episode was, was excellent, but having said that, I didn't find it particularly disappointing either because it it more or less lived up to my expectations. Mm. Interesting. Maggie? Mm, This is very interesting. (laughs) Um, 
Uh, I think I'm sort of in the middle as well, like Gerald, but I fall more towards Darren's end of the spectrum. Um, I think as well because I had high hopes that this was going to be um, this character, kind of like a, a character sketch or a sort of deep dive into William's character and it was going to be really complex unpicking of um, this man who's tortured um, and had good intentions but was changed by his experience. Um, and what I kind of got from it was, you know, um, resolution and um, confirmation that he is, as you say, a prick, but he's also incredibly messed up because of his time at Westworld and it's led to damaging relationships in the real world but he's also messed up because he can't differentiate what is true reality to him, um, and that's part of the reason why he's so messed up. Um, but at the, I, I also agree, though, with Gerald and Darren that Juliet's death is not as convincing for me, and I, I wonder if, and we can talk about this later, actually, um, whether or not it's because we're seeing... Westworld on a week-by-week basis and there's so much speculation every week about what's happening next and and um you know William's character is such an important character in in this universe maybe some of these weaknesses that we're identifying would have been addressed if they'd actually released the series uh, the season as a whole as opposed to a week-by-week episode um maybe we wouldn't have seen this as um, maybe his character wouldn't have had such significance as what we've ascribed to it, and perhaps this this particular episode would have seemed less disappointing because it would be put in a broader context and you're just sort of watching it as a binge-watching experience back-to-back. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think part of the reason um, I personally kind of found this episode disappointing was because, from a preview perspective, we'd we kind of thought that it was a man in black bottle episode. So, um, yeah, like I definitely agree with that point. Right. I, I kind of feel like I probably would not have ragged on this episode as badly if I'd watched it as just part of a, and there hadn't been it sort of any background chatter, um, from Reddit, whatever it was. Right. And I just watched it clean. So, yeah. Um, sorry, just to add a, a separate point as well. What's interesting about this season and this episode in particular is um, the amount of time they're spending outside of Westworld proper um, in terms of the story. So season one was based principally within Westworld itself or within the control room within Westworld. So it's very much contained to the park itself. This season they're trying to take us to the world outside the park, the real world. And this is the first episode where you really get an insight into the outside world from William's perspective. We got a little glimpse of that from um, that episode where um, Arnold takes Dolores outside into the real world and um, they introduce Logan into the concept of Westworld. But I I think I suspect it's also part of that struggle in that um, they haven't had the chance to, I guess, um, explore those relationships as much as um, the relationships that um, the the hosts within Westworld have with with each other, 
and with the operators of the park. And so we're not as invested in that relationship. Um, and they have also haven't had the time to build those relationships between, say, William and the real people outside of Westworld. So I think that's also part of the problem too. Can so I just the... have a rebuttal point on the Juliet note? Yeah. So, so if you if you think about it from the point of view of Juliet, when she met William, she thought he was different to all the people in her world. But very soon, after he discovers Westworld, he not only turns into just another one of those people, but he brings Westworld into their lives and he makes it their lives. And so he is somewhat responsible for Logan just spiralling downhill um, because he's pretty much taken over the company by using Westworld as the leverage and by promising the father, you know, eternal life through Westworld and sort of shoved Logan into irrelevance, ultimately leading to Logan's demise or at least contributing towards it. He's, um, you know, gotten her father obsessed with this idea and created pretty much a monster out of him, like a half-man, half-robot in this attempt to devise um, eternal life. So I get what she means about he's destroyed them. Now, you say she already knows this, and yet she does kind of know this to a degree, but I think Juliet is held together by at least hope in the idea that William at least loves her and loves Emily. Yes, she suspects that he doesn't, because even though his behaviour is as of a loving husband, and that's not inconsistent with and everything we've been told about him as a husband to this point. Everything we've been told is that he was a really good husband. So behaviour-wise, he's kind, he's gentle, he's he's good to her, he doesn't cheat on her. But she doesn't feel the emotion. He doesn't have the emotion there. He's got the behaviours, he doesn't have the emotion, and she feels that. And when she tries to communicate this to him, how frustrating it must have been for her her entire life to try to communicate and create an emotional bond to someone who's pretending that that bond is already there when she knows it's not. And I think that's what she means by the gaslighting. And then right towards the end, there. I think the reason why it was the last straw for her was that, um, you know, Emily was threatening to send her away to this, um, to rehab, which she views as a, as, as, a, as a prison. Emily's taking a stand against her, and Emily's got no idea that, you know, what her mother has suffered or what kind of person her father is. And Emily is completely on side with her father. And her mother suspects that her father doesn't even love Emily. So she's got to have some fear about what is going to ultimately come out of that relationship. So she's, she's in that state of mind. And when she's in this really vulnerable state of mind, that's when she hears William say, yes, I didn't love you. Everything you believed your entire life, you have invested 30 years of life to loving me, to being my wife, to having really no function other than to be my wife. And you did this on the basis that, that I loved you and that I loved our child. And it was all a lie. Everything you suspected, I'm confirming it's true. And I think that even though she suspected, hearing that confirmed would have been so devastating because she would have held on to the belief that maybe it wasn't true. And while it's true that she knows he goes off to Westworld and Logan has intimated that he does really outlandish things there and maybe even suggests that you know he kills robots or whatever she actually can physically see it now like imagine if you knew your husband goes off and does something dodgy every now and then but then suddenly the videotape of it was put in front of you and he was raping he was murdering and also he was clearly bizarrely and psychotically obsessed 
with one particular robot who's been in your life the whole time that you've always thought something weird was going on and it's Dolores, right? But I think seeing that would, it would just push you over the edge. So to me, it did make sense that she sort of, she engaged in that. But can we talk about William killing Emily? Like, I know what Gerald, Gerald thought that it didn't have emotional impact because um, he, Gerald felt like he didn't have a bond with Emily. Did um, Darren, did you and Mags feel the same way about that scene? I think Mags has a stronger point of view on this one than, than me. Like, Mags, what do you think about the Emily scene? Um, well, so it, on the one hand, I thought um, it was really powerful because it was just a clear demonstration of how messed up the man in black or William actually is. But I was also a little bit disappointed in, in terms of Emily herself, the way in which they used her, her character as a, a tool in the, in the season. Um, the way that she dies, it's almost like they created her specifically so that she could die, you know? Um, and it kind of made it, again, ironically, it felt like, you know, the, the point that Emily was railing um, her father about, which was, you know, her accusation that he thinks the entire Westworld was created around him and his yeah. name. And then she dies because the, story, the writers want to make a point, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's some weirdly, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they were actually doing that deliberately to kind of reinforce the point. It made me seem quite, made me feel quite disappointed about about her character because I had hoped for more, I suppose, from from what she, who she was and what her, what her potential was in in that, um, in in the story. yeah. And, yeah, and just to just to reflect on the point that you just made so passionately um, <laughs> about Juliet, I can the way in which you describe it and you talk about it, it's really convincing, and I can <laughs> completely empathise with that point of view. I, I guess I didn't get that from from the watching episode. the episode, mm-hmm. um, and that could just be because um, I I wasn't invested in Juliet's character. Um, but if you were, if they had spent more time, I guess building that relationship, I potentially could have seen more of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Darren. Sorry, you were going to say something about Emily. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with you because it's like this oddly cruel. Her fate is oddly cruel from both a story perspective and from a meta perspective, right? Because as you said, she dies in the, in the story, basically. Um, well, within the, the, the story of the world, she dies because her dad is convinced that she's blessed playing a role in the story. And then on a meta level, she actually, the writers of Westworld have actually just put her in there because she serves a story purpose, right? To show how messed up the man in black is. So it's like doubly tragic in that way. But I, I don't think yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. It, what they've done is they've, 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 they've created a character of great promise and then deprived her of any agency in the story whatsoever. Exactly. And then really yeah. killed her off because the performance um, by the actress who plays Emily is quite compelling. She's a bit of a bit of a badass, um, and she's, she managed to survive the, the massacre in, in Raj world, and, and she speaks Latoka, the language of the ghost nation, and she seems to be one of the most put-together characters in the show. She certainly... Um, in a show with a lot of hyper-competent female characters, she's one of the most hyper-competent of them all, outshining um, Charlotte Hale, outshining Teresa, and 
she, whilst a human being, she's almost as competent as Maeve or Dolores. And then we find out at the end of the day that she is no more than a pawn that the storytellers have used in order to make a point about just how fucked up William is. Yeah. Uh, and that that I thought was really disappointing. I mean, that's a that's a sort of Game of Thrones writers move. I mean, the trick that the trick that, the trick that the writers of Game, Game of Thrones always always pull is to use is to use the suffering or trauma of female characters as a story beat for the male characters. And um, we had talked about this earlier in the season because at one point. Um, Dolores issues basically a, a, declara- a declaration of independence saying she's no longer playing a character and she, she's now herself. So at a meta level, there was an assertion by the show of female agency um, and independence of um, the storyline of male characters. But we find out that one of the most hyper-competent female characters in the show is no more than a tool by which we learn more about um, the the character of a male in the show in circumstances where it doesn't actually change him very much. There's no there's no pivot in this character. There's no pivot in his story after the death of Emily. Yes, he, tra- he he points the gun in his own head, but then he chucks it away. So the not only not only is the death of Emily um, little more than a a point used to illustrate just how screwed up this bloke is, but it's also from his perspective, almost inconsequential. And so we ask ourselves, well, what was the point of all that? Why create this potentially compelling, hyper-competent female character? And she's written off in the most peremptory and meaningless fashion. I agree with that, but I also thought that was a really interesting scene. For for one thing, I, I can't understand why he killed, why he um, shot her. Because yes, he suspects that she's a robot, but it's only a suspicion. All he's got to go on her being a robot is that she knows about the profile. But you know. Th- it's not true that the only way she could have found out about the profile is from Ford. And even if that were true, the real Emily could have found out about the profile from Ford. And so there were plenty of reasons for him to not be 100% certain that that was his daughter. And the fact that he shot anyway when there was doubt was it was just bizarre. Like, could that only mean that he never cared about her anyway? And as his mother, as as Juliet said, he doesn't love you. Is is that what they were trying to illustrate? And then, of course, he goes off to the desert and he puts a gun to his head. He sees an image of Emily when she was a little girl. She see, he sees her beautiful face when she's, uh, you know, a young woman. And, you know, we're supposed to assume he's in pain or anguish. And he puts the gun to his head, you know, and probably racked with guilt for what he's done. But then he can't pull the trigger. So not sure what that means. Not that guilty? Or what so, does that mean? Yeah. And what, what, and what yeah, he it's, said. It's, it's, it's basically me. sorry, not sorry. Well, but actually, what he does actually. instead is even worse because he starts to 
dig into his arm and he he says he sprouts this bullshit about you know what is a person but a collection of choices you know where do those choices come from do i have a choice where any of those choices mine to make he can't even freaking take responsibility for what he's done and he digs into his skin to see if there's a porthole there basically to see if he's a robot or not because his mind can't fathom that he may have actually done this horribly evil thing not just in westworld but in the real world like it's just it's disgusting that he cannot take responsibility and he it's easier for him to imagine that he must have been a robot and these choices must have been strings pulled by ford um so yeah, yeah. So, so i i agree with that i i like that bit of the episode i think look I, oh, great. I, I, yeah I, I agree that like the lead up to it i'm not entirely sure why he pulled the trigger and the other incongruity for me is also after he pulls the trigger for someone who's massively paranoid and kind of has believed that Ford has engineered this entire game for it, including creating poppies of his daughter, like, he basically convinces himself that it's the real daughter when he sees the micro- the microchip in her hand. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, is that actually proof enough to really say that... It, it just seems bizarre, right? That he's Maybe willing check. to... Yeah. Yeah, check. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, and he... Because he's like... She's given him all this evidence up to this point, and then the only evidence that he's willing to accept is a microchip. And I'm like, hang on, isn't the microchip the like the most easily replicable thing to give her? Like, why why is that the proof that she's real? Right? Like, if you're massively paranoid, why would you take that as proof? But then I think, look, for me, that last scene was powerful because it solidified a part of his character. Right? He mm. is massively paranoid. Right? For whatever reason, he kind of lives in this parallel world where he's involved in this huge game of wits with Robert Ford. And so for me, it was unsatisfying because we didn't kind of explore why he was so, like, obsessed with this game. And is that complete paranoia, though? Because you actually see Ford in his, you know, you know, sort of rubbing his hands together in his evil way, going, hmm, one yeah. more game. Yeah. Oh, yes, that's true. That's true. That's true. Okay, so, yes. But then, like, he's also a coward, right? Because that's actually true. That scene with Ford is so, like, dastardly dick, right? Like, he's sitting there like a cartoon villain. Like, <laughs> I don't know. That's... <laughs> yeah, but um, like the the thing is that he's so much, like the man in black is so much of a coward that he doesn't want to take responsibility for his own actions, right? For him, yeah. like the soft determinism is a way of abdicating responsibility, and I think yeah. it, it like that's a defining character moment, right? Because he's he's not resp- he he's too scared and too cowardly to take responsibility for his own actions. So, um, yeah, I, I think. That that aspect was good, um, but yeah, like I, I yeah, I, look, I, I think kind of in terms of the emotional impact of Emily's death. Obviously, I liked Emily as a character, and I wish they hadn't killed. And who knows, right? Like, I mean, mm. is, is it just me, or is it really weird that he is that they've just completely written off the fact that he got shot five times? Like, oh, so weird. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, because this episode, he goes back to basically full operational fitness. And even Emily says, you've been shot five times. Like, how how are they... 
And so I, I guess part of me is like, well, is Emily dead? Is anyone really dead? Because he's an old, old man who's quite frail, and he can get shot five times. Like, surely, Emily... I don't know. Anyway. Um, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Yeah. I think the jury's still out but about what's going on there. But yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you guys think that the, maybe the reason he hates Ford so much is because Ford is responsible for William falling in love with initially and then just becoming very unhealthily obsessed with Dolores? Because he calls Ford the wizard, you know, the wizard um, at odds, which you know, the wizard is the phony wizard who's pulling the strings. Um, and I just wonder if the reason he hates Ford is the same reason he hates Dolores, like he hates being obsessed with Dolores. Um, and a part of him hates being obsessed with that world, which is not real. But, but like, this sort of thing is kind of... So, yeah, I, I can kind of see that. But at the same time, this is the sort of thing that... Like, there are some shows that kind of force motivations onto characters. And those, sometimes when those motivations become too forced, as an audience, we kind of sit back and go, hang on, that doesn't make any sense. How? Why would anybody <laughs> act in that way, right? Like, and, it, it, and so for me, like, if he's obsessed with Ford because he's made him fall in love with Dolores, it's kind of like, hang on, it's been like 30, 40 years, like, and you control his company. So, like... Just stop being so obsessed with, like, what are you talking about? Get over right? it. Yeah, just get over it. How long has it been? Like, it just, it, it's just these weird motivations that are kind of just like, that feels like a writer's motivation, not a real person's motivation. Mm-hmm. You, you know yeah, I mean? it is very, it is very inorganic. Yeah. Um, and the other puzzling thing about the confrontation between the two of them in the bar is that at one point, Robert Ford uh, intimates that. William is responsible for breaching some agreement between them. Namely, you stay out of business, you stay out of my business and I'll stay out of yours. But it's not entirely clear what the breach was. Yeah. So there is a real problem with the, the Ford-William antagonism in the sense that it, it seems, it still feels very, very abstract. Yes, um, yes. Very obscure. Yeah. It, it, it feels like some... Like the writers have thought, hey, let's engineer some uh, some intellectually curious antagonism between a man who creates robots but wants them to be as free as humans, and a man and another man who is trying to make humans immortal by turning them into robots. How interesting is that duality? And on one level, it might be. It certainly. It is. It's certainly it's certainly the stuff of it's certainly the stuff of perhaps an interesting philosophy paper, but it's not actually interesting drama. There's no there's no, there are no emotional stakes in their relationship. There's no there's no grounding of their antagonism in any sort of um, dramatic or emotional um, aspect of their relationship. So what we have is a is a very abstract, very intellectual. Um, duality set up by the writers of the show in circumstances where it's very forced and thoroughly inorganic. Yeah. So, uh, look, I, I would I would agree. Yeah, I, I agree with that, right? Like, I've been watching a lot of anime recently, and anime writing is absolutely like that, <laughs> really inorganic <laughs> and forced. But, like, uh, uh, my sense, actually, is that they probably do have... So, I mean, the big missing piece in my mind is... 
why are they why do they hate each other so much right why does ford and the man in black hate each other right we've got this vague as gerald said there's a vague notion and i actually think and i think it's to the detriment of the show but and it's due to the way the episodic nature of the show right I actually think that they're going to deal with that in the finale because I think the break between Ford and William is has to do with the true nature of the Valley Beyond and this um, the human consciousness mm. experiment that William is undertaking and it, it's like in my mind it's got to do with that and the reason they haven't specifically spelt it out is they want that to be the big like reveal at the end of the season right but. The problem is, if that's going to be the big reveal at the end of the season, everybody has to talk talk like a fortune cookie up to that point, right? And when you're when you're kind of like exploring the character of William, you can only explore the periphery without getting into this major kind of plot point that you want to reveal at, at a later time. I mean, this is just my hypothesis, right? Um, but I, I I get the feeling that this is too big a hole for them not to have a proper reason in place. But it just... The only reason I can see why they haven't put it down is because they just want to save it, right? And maybe I'll be proven wrong next week, but I guess we'll mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Do you, know what their, do you know what their relationship feels like? It feels like the antagonism between um, Jacob and the smoke monster in Lost, which is... It, it ran for several seasons. <laughs> Nobody knew what it was about. It was complete bullshit. And by the time they saw it, they tried to explain it in, like, the third or fourth last episode of the show, no one bought it because it was complete... It was just... It was complete nonsense. So what? right now, we're seeing a latter-day parallel of that sort of silly, uh, inorganic antagonism being 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 set up in this show. Well, I think the one... The, there's a key difference here, right? Which is that Ford is genu- genuinely... A interesting and horrible character simultaneously, right? Like, he's not, like, just a smoke monster, right? So, I think this is a nice sort of segue to to talk about kind of Ford's interactions with um, Bernard and Maeve. Yeah, Bernard and Maeve, yeah. How did you... What did you guys think of Bernard this week? I loved Um, it when he said, Get the fuck out of my mind! I loved that. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> he's normally so reserved and cool and like stilted, and that was confused. I thought it was very so. Here's Ford again deciding when he's going to control the hosts and when he's not. Bernard has requested to be able to be the master of his own destiny, and Ford has granted that with the words, um, "What was it? Thou mayest." Um, that's a biblical reference, isn't it? When isn't it a reference to the giving of permission to do pretty much what you want to do, to sin or to do good? Um, so yeah, so he's given free choice back, and this is why I can never see Ford as benevolent because that's just not what you do. You don't take over people's minds and control them and use them as objects when you feel like it, and then give them free will when you feel like it. But um, yeah, what did you guys think? I did it. Uh, Mags, did you want to go first? Oh, I was just going to say it was one of my favourite scenes in the entire episode. Um, and yeah, and then when he um, he trolls Bernard a little bit by sitting on his right shoulder, like um, on the devil, and then says, "I'll make it easy for you. I'm here." And then you know, <laughs> so it's like, is he gone or is he gone? 
Do, do we think he's actually gone? I don't think he's gone. There's no way that you got rid of him. Right? <laughs> as simple as deleting this package. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The <laughs> end. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I I loved it as well, right? Like for the first, I want to like Bernard, right? He's a nice guy, right? Like you, you know that Bernard, like Bernard has good intentions, right? He deals in good faith. So you want to like him. And throughout this season, he's been so frustrating because he's been so confused and not in control of his own destiny. And he's just like bumbling around, right? Like shambling around and he doesn't really know. And then for once this season, he kind of takes agency for his own life. And I loved it. I loved it, right? Like I was like, thank God you're back with us, Bernard, instead of just like being... I mean, look, I, I think he's still... He, he's a house robot. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I don't I don't think he's I think he's I think I think he's a as a robot who has lived in bo- on both sides, right? I, I think he he has a more like a holistic view of the world, right? He's not for human genocide. He's not for robot genocide. And I, I, I mean, I like him because of that, right? Um, and I liked how he took agency to save Elsie, right? Because he, he, he could see that what was going on last season was going to happen again if <laughs> Elsie didn't get away from him, right? So, um, yeah, I, I thought that was that was a really, really great scene. Um, but in, at no point do I actually think that Ford has let Bernard go, right? Like, I think Ford has basically said, fine, go ahead and do whatever you want, because from my perspective, this is not important, right? Where it's important, I'm going to take over and basically, like, do the acts for you. But where it's, like, not that important, whatever, dude, go nuts, right? Um, <laughs> and that's 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 the actions of a very arrogant, like... Unprincipled God, <laughs> really, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Jazz, what did you think? I was very distracted by the fact that the interactions between Elsie and Bernard this episode felt very much like um, a woman deciding whether or not to take back her shitty boyfriend. <laughs> and so, every, every so often, there's Elsie says to Bernard, "You're not going to hurt me again, are you?" And at the end, when when Bernard leaves her, it was very much like. You know, like a shitty boyfriend dumping dumping the girl because uh, because he's no good for her anyway. Yeah, it's not and you, so it's me. That, I, yeah, and so I, I just found that all I just found that all a bit distracting. And to be honest, I look Anthony Hopkins is a great actor. There's no doubt about it, and he delivers these monologues um, with great aplomb. The problem is. I'm a bit over them. I, I'm really Aww. a bit. Over, I'm really a bit over his wanky <laughs> monologues. Uh, you know, sort of the, the, the you know the, the speech he delivered over Maeve. I was like, can this bloody well end? Because this is intolerable. And the 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 speech that he you know his his dialogue his exchange with Bernard was was similar. I was like, well, I'm 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 over Ford and because in a sense Ford is turning out to be you know. Well, I don't think that you know the show tries to to wrap him up in in a sense of intrigue to make him seem enigmatic, but actually I I think there's not much there and 
So they write pretty words for Tony Hopkins to deliver, and he delivers them. But ultimately, um, it, it just comes across as a bit of a wank, and um, that's 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 how I responded to that scene. Yeah, like I, I, I look, I, I, I don't necessarily share that view. Like I think that I, I still think that Ford is a really interesting character. Um, he does, he does monologue a little bit too much. Like as in, <laughs> there's too much of that sort of like cartoon villain a little bit sometimes with him, right? Like as I was saying earlier, right? Um, <laughs> um, what do you think about him? Saying Maeve was his favorite. That was really weird because we've never seen him interact with Maeve. Like, really? <laughs> like, I guess I can't think of who else would be his favorite. It certainly was never going to be Dolores. He kind of hates Dolores a little bit, and Dolores was um, Arnold's favorite. But it was it was very odd seeing that close bond that had never been established at any point in the show. Yeah, I, I like that scene because. Um, mainly because of the way it was juxtaposed with the following scene. Um, so I think he... Maybe my memory's wrong, but... Um, the scene where he talks to Maeve, his his character comes across as very sympathetic, right? He makes this monologue, and it's sympathetic because it's kind of like... He seems to be suggesting that, you know, like, he loves his creations, and you are my the, the best mm. of my creations, and, you know, it's so sad to see you like this as a benevolent God, let me like help you out. Right. And then, so he frees mm. her from the, the AI shackle or whatever it is that they've got on her. Right. And then the following scene, you've got Ford being classical, like villain Ford with Bernard, where he's like, you know, perched on Bernard's shoulder and trolling him. So like, I, for me, I, I thought like, well, I mean, Yes, he's monologuing, but kind of this is the, why Ford as a character of interest is interesting because, like, on some level, you're kind of like sometimes he can be benevolent and sometimes he can be malevolent, and you know you never really know where he's where he's going to go, right? Like, um, I mean, I think as a group we've deep down kind of decided that he is like a, probably quite a selfish being, but. I mean, the fact that you can have those two two scenes and it's still congruous for a character like that, I think that's great. Um, mm. Yeah. Can I, can I tell you why I found that scene, the scene with Maeve, particularly frustrating? Yeah. For, for almost three episodes now, Maeve has been lying on a slab, and I think it's a fucking outrage that the story, that the, <laughs> that the showrunners could take as good a performer as Tandy Newton and for three episodes have her lying almost wordless on a friggin' slab. And in this episode, the only scene that she's in, we have Tony Hopkins stand over her to deliver a monologue. I just thought that what a complete waste of time. What a complete waste of Tandy Newton. And, and you know, sort of in circumstances where Maeve is quite possibly the most interesting and certainly the most sympathetic character in the entire show. To have her lying for the third episode in a row, wordless and on a slab, just so Tony Hopkins can stand over her and deliver some monologue is, for me, completely unconscionable writing. And um, and they have done absolutely nothing to advance the story. For the, for the third episode in a row, we still don't know where her posse is. Now, we'll find out next week because the preview tells us what it is. Absolutely frustrating that her story has come to an absolute standstill. Um, you know, they, they take her all the way to Shogun World, and it seemed as if halfway through the season she was going to have the most dynamic story arc of, every, of any character on the show. Instead, 
her her story has just hit a complete brick wall. And instead of advancing it, no, they instead devote that the time that they could be using advancing her story to let Tony Hopkins deliver a monologue. I just thought that was a complete waste of time. Mm. Okay. Um oh, loving this made number one soapboxing, Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> Maeve number one. Yeah, Maeve number one. Number one. <laughs> um, okay, so... Uh, should we move on to Dolores and Teddy? Yes, we yeah, absolutely thanks. should. So, um, I love this scene. And um, mm. I was actually surprised... Like, I'd be really interested in seeing what what you guys thought, but I loved it. Um, I, I thought that the sound production of that scene was amazing, the way... Like it kind of built to this in the background, like there's this sort of sort of crescendo that's building, right? That sort of white noise sort of style of crescendo that's kind of building. Um, mm. Yeah, like, and I love the scene also because it was a um, it, it's a clear juxtaposition with the man in black, right? Where Dolores takes on the position of the man in black, and Teddy takes on the position of Juliet, where mm. basically like. Um, regardless of gender, right? Like, it's... Like, when you're a prick to your spouse, things happen, <laughs> right? Like, it's... Um, yeah, like, at some point, you're going to push them to a point where they just don't really want to be there anymore. Um, I loved it. And I thought it was... I hate to see Teddy go, because I love Teddy, and I think James Marsden is awesome, right? Like, he's, like... He's ultra good looking and he's also in like really interesting fun shows that I like to watch. So like he's awesome, right? But um like I, I thought that what Teddy did was one hundred percent in line with his character, where he basically made the call that um I don't want to hurt Dolores, but I can't in good conscience continue to follow her. So what what path do I have, right? Um and I thought it was, you know, it was, it was tragic, right? Like, and so in terms of that juxtaposition, in my mind, I felt that the Teddy death was more powerful than the Juliet death. Not, not because the Juliet is any less important of a character, but it's because from a Teddy perspective, we followed that journey for longer, right? There's been more time for that character to marinate. So obviously when he offs himself, it's like, it's more profound in some ways from an audience perspective anyway. Um, Mm. Yeah, so what, what was everybody else's thoughts? Anja? Uh Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. I thought it was really interesting that even though he had been programmed out of his old character, those old character traits were creeping back in and he found himself in a place where he just couldn't keep doing this and he couldn't keep supporting Dolores but the only way out of that was to um, to, to kill himself and that was a choice that he, he exercised and I thought Dolores' reaction when she sees him die was amazing. I, it, I, I felt really moved and you could feel her her shock and her pain and her oh my god like I can't like, I can't believe this um, so that was great. I don't know that he's gone because remember that he's in the pond, not the pond. What's the, you know, the water where they find yeah, all the yeah. robots? And he does not have his head blown off. 
So, in fact, there doesn't seem to be any damage to his head. You know, so I don't... So, again, a bit of a mystery there. I'd be surprised if he's gone because he is just such a great actor and such a great... Yeah, a great actor. I, I wouldn't want him to be... I, I'd want I'd want to see more of him in the future because he hasn't been used all that well on this show, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Mags? Yeah, no, I, I really loved it as well. I thought that was one of the best um, scenes in the episode and a really great way to end the episode as well on this sort of tortured note, literally on this tortured note and very dramatic, um, reminiscent in my mind to the way that, um, was it, that the um, latest Blade Runner movie, the way that they used music to create mood, um, that was really beautiful. I agree with you, Anadur, as well, that um, Dolores' reaction to that was actually um, pretty profound because it sort of demonstrates that that conflict within her between Wyatt and Dolores, the father, is still there, and that even though she made the hard choice to change him for his own survival, she had never thought... She had still loved him, and she had never thought that it would push him to the edge like that. Um so it, it's interesting that um, in comparison to the way she reacted to her father's death, this she seemed to be more um, to be more um, moved, I suppose, by Teddy's yeah. death. But she's and responsible, and, right? Because yeah. Teddy and Juliet, the parallel is that they die because of the pain of a love betrayed. Like, as Teddy says to Dolores, twice now, you know, you changed me. Like, I loved you and you changed me. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's that pain. Because he says that even at the very beginning when he's first changed. He kind of says, I guess you, you know, I never thought I'd be leaving this place, but I guess you fixed that. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. And I wonder whether or not they're doing that as well because they're setting up the different drivers for why each of the characters, the, the sort of pillar characters in the season, Bernard, Dolores, Man in Black, Maeve, um, and then to a lesser extent Charlotte Hale and um, Aketacha. Um, Aketacha. <laughs> um, the six of them are now going to the valley beyond why are they going there? What's driving them? And this is kind of, re- you know, does this change Dolores's motivation or, or does it just strengthen the reason why she's going there, what she plans to do to weaponize the Valley Beyond yeah. in some way? Yeah. So I actually also, like, if you think about it, the way that scene is played is so clever because um, she she thinks that he is about to pull a gun on her and then it basically turns out that he he doesn't pull a gun on her. He pulls a gun on himself because he still mm-hmm. so much of him loves her loves her still that he can't mm-hmm. bear to take her life. So the only solution in his mind is for him to take his own. Right, like that double that sort of you can imagine that if you're sitting in her shoes on one initially you're kind of thinking this prick i'm i'm going to take him out now right and then it turns out actually he is he surpasses your expectations to such to to that extent right like he he's he actually loves you that much that he's willing to give his life so it's like yeah. i think that's that's a really really powerful scene and i hope that next week that like uh, there must be some sort of impact on dolores um 
for next yeah. week. And so I, I'm very interested in seeing seeing how that impacts her character. Yeah. Look, I, I agree that that was a very well put together and well performed scene. I couldn't help thinking, though, at the end of it, that if if this is the last that we see of James Marsden in the show, then it's an awful waste of James Marsden because the character of Teddy in season one, let's face it, wasn't particularly interesting. He was the the blandly good-looking stranger who rides into town and uh, has a pre-existing relationship with Dolores uh, that her father doesn't entirely approve of, and he's not particularly great, he's not particularly bad, he's just... He's just there. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the second season, it takes quite a while, but finally something interesting happens to him. He gets changed, and we see some of the uh, contradictions that this brings out in his character. We see, so, uh, we see flickers of internal conflict, though at the same time, not that much over the last couple of episodes. Yes, there are flashes of it, but they aren't. This this isn't particularly. This wasn't seeded particularly well. And finally, it culminates in this powerful scene that's slightly divorced from what comes before it, and the end. So just as Teddy's getting interesting, they get rid of him, which kind of. I know there's a. I know there's a. We're meant to think there's a parallel between Teddy and Juliet in this episode, but in a sense. From a meta story level, there's a stronger parallel between uh, Teddy and Emily in the sense that here are two potentially interesting characters at the height of their potential interestingness, mm. and just at that particular moment, the show decides to um, snatch them away from us. Mm. So I, I, I also found this to be slightly frustrating as well. Mm. Okay. I'm, I'm sure you liked the episode more when we watched it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> You've <laughs> a lot more accepting, angry about it now. <laughs> accepting something in your mind, <laughs> Okay, well, let's... So next week is the season finale. So um, before we end tonight... We've seen the preview, Darren. It looks amazing! <laughs> oh, it looks so good! Okay, Amateur, let's, let's hear what, you, what your expectations are. And, like, let's, let's you know, let's see... What do you think? What do you think is going to happen next week? There's going to be fireworks delivered by Maeve. There's going to be fireworks between the Man in Black and Dolores, um, and I don't really know what else is going to happen. But I think <laughs> those characters are going to bring it. I can't wait to see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and a lot of weird stuff is going on in that server farm that we're going to find out about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mags. Hmm. Um. I don't know. I've got this image in my mind of Maeve because there's this one bit in the um, in the preview where Maeve is standing there in the desert with her hand out like Moses, ready to part the um, the red sea. Oh yeah, that looked good. <laughs> I know. So it's she's so she's Moses she's like, now. Moses. <laughs> and so is it like her battling Clementine? Hmm. Yes, because Clementine is now released as a virus, basically, mm, which is a yes. horrible fate to, for Clementine. Mm, poor Clementine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so is there going to be a massive, like, robot showdown between the two of them? Yeah. Mm. Okay, so for me, I, I'm kind of... I don't know how they're going to reconcile the post-Carl Strand timeline and the before-Carl... Oh, sorry, 
before Carl Strand and after Carl Strand and have all this stuff going on because there's clearly from a plot perspective all the pieces have now been moved that there's going to be this showdown at the Valley Valley Beyond, right? Now, but the problem is that Valley Beyond is a metaphysical place, isn't it? It's like the Matrix. So, like, anyway, I, I, I have high hopes but I get the sense that they're going to still, like, there's going to be a lot that is still untied off that they're going to have to put into the next season um, because I kind of feel It could that... be a two-hour episode. We don't know how long the episode's going to be. Can they do Ooh. that? Do they do that? Two they've hour done episode. a really long episode before. They, I think they've done a two-hour episode before. Gerald, do you remember that one that was really long? The one with uh, Delos, with um, Jim Jim Delos? That was a long Yeah, that one. was... That was about an hour and 15 minutes, so that was oh, a okay. jumbo-sized jumbo, jumbo sized episode. But that is a jumbo-sized episode, even by the standards of HBO in this show. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a jumbo-sized episode. Um, I, th- I think we will see a Maeve versus Clementine showdown. I'll, I think we'll see um, fun and games in the in the Matrix constituted by the, uh, by the uh, server farm, the Valley Beyond. And I expect to be treated to a really frustrating cliffhanger that will make me want to shout. <laughs> so my expectation. Okay. Wait, wait. So my my expectation, my expectation will be that they actually tell me why the man in black and Ford are at loggerheads with each other. If they explain that, I'll be happy. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. It's not gonna happen. Okay, you know, I'll, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it ain't happening because they don't even know. <laughs> oh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so, on a positive note, Sizemore is going to be back next week, and I can't I wait to see that. what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I believe oh. in Sizemore. <laughs> oh. uh, Sizemore number one. Sizemore number one. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you know, I actually really love Maeve's gang. I kind of yeah, feel they're, they're really lovable, right? Like, I know, you know, I'd like to hang out with them. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I mean, they kill a robots, but like, so I can't wait for Maeve's gang to get together. And I can't wait for them to explain to Maeve what's been going on, right? What's been holding them up for three episodes. I can't wait for that explanation. I mean, so... <laughs> Um, okay, well, thank you very much again for a um, fun episode of discussion. Um, and we'll see everybody next week for the season Yay, finale. <laughs> All right, bye. 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 Thanks, guys.